Okay, we've been we've been uh, studying on uh, Sunday mornings the events in the last week of the Lord's life before He was crucified. We're coming to a climax on that, and uh, on Tuesday nights we've added in some of the things that you kind of skip over because there's so much to think about. And so we've been filling in a few blanks and we're going to do that tonight too. And when I come to this time of year, we come to these topics. It really is a thought-provoking thing when we think about what the Lord did. It gets down inside of you. And there's a couple things that really strike me as I look at them. Uh, one is there's an old song we used to sing, Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Uh, I don't think we ever sang that here. But when I was a kid, we sang, Jesus, what a friend for sinners. And boy, is that an amazing thing to think about. Uh, people... Uh, may not recognize just how much Jesus is a friend for sinners. And as we go through things we're going to look at over this time, it really is striking. Um, better poets <laughs> uh, wrote songs that we don't sing either because they're too lofty, I think, sometimes. Majestic sweetness sits enthroned upon the Savior's brow. Anybody remember that one? <laughs> Majestic sweetness sits enthroned upon the Savior's brow. His head with radiant glories crowned. His lips with grace overflow. He's such a pleasant, delightful person. He calls it majestic sweetness that he displays. And this when we come into these passages, it's just, they're right, his lips with grace overflow. Everything out of his mouth is wonderful. So it's very, uh, sometimes it shakes you that he's the way he is towards sinners. And the other thing that I think about this time of year, especially when we get into these topics, is the horrible nature of sin. We take sin too lightly. We don't think about it for what it is. Passages we're going to look at tonight help us to look at that a little more intently. But I think in the society today, particularly in church society, uh, we have sort of minimized the problem of sin and don't say much about it. And we tolerate a lot of it. And I think that that's a problem for us because we don't recognize what it is. And so we're going to look at a couple of people. This wave of activity that happens the last uh week of Jesus' life. I mean, there's never been a book written anything like it. You can't write a fiction book like it. It's, it's staggering. Uh, the plots and the subplots and the characters that are built up. And what happened was people got swept away in this, these events. They just got swallowed alive. If you were there and, and doing things that you thought were just normal, they suddenly weren't normal anymore, and people's lives just were swallowed up. And so uh, uh, we want to look at a couple of those things. These are familiar passages, I know, but we have a couple points of view we want to bring out. So I'm going to start with Luke chapter number 22. <clears throat> there are several different accounts of the denial of Peter. 
and we just chose one here that covers it pretty basically and and Luke shoved it all together some of the authors uh, didn't do that they broke it up because actually it, it transpired over uh, maybe a couple hours as they were put Jesus rested him around three put him on trial by four and it's a couple of hours that they go through that so by six or so in the morning they're ready to take him to Pilate and so this uh, although it transpired over a couple of hours we get the straight story here without stretching out the time Luke 22 verse 54 and they took him and led him brought him to the high priest's house and Peter followed afar off now Peter uh, had sworn a couple of hours earlier that everybody else may abandon you but I never will I never will. And Jesus uh, said, well, you'll see about that before the night's over. And so when they arrested Jesus, Peter grabbed a sword and he said, shall we smite or should we fight? And he didn't wait for an answer. He just took a swing with that sword and he glanced it right off the guy's head and cut his ear off. And Jesus had put that away. I said, it's not what we're doing now. And he takes the fellow's ear and puts it back on. <laughs> I'll tell you, that guy never forgot that, huh? Your ear is all, I mean, you can't imagine the pain. He cut your ear off. And all of a sudden, it's back on your head. And I'm sure he spent the next few days feel it's still there it's okay amazing and so uh, Peter kind of got shut down and he kind of went off half cocked like he usually did and he got shut down by Jesus no don't do that and so Peter is going to follow and he goes to the high priest's house uh, and there would be a house there a very fancy house with a big outside porch uh, covered up but open to the air. And then out in the yard is where Peter is. And when they had kindled the fire in the midst of the hall, were sit down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked on him and said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. After a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. Peter said, Man, I am not. And about the space of one hour, after another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth this fellow was also with him, for he is a Galilean. They can tell by his speech. Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. Now we know at that point he started cursing and swearing. Because the other... The other author said he just started cursing and swearing. How dare you say that? And he's cursing and swearing immediately. Well, he yet spake the cock crew. And the Lord turned, looked upon Peter. Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he'd said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter went out and wept bitterly. Here's a case where suddenly you realize you have really done a bad thing. All of a sudden, he gradually goes into it, and you would think, okay, Peter, Jesus said, the rooster's going to crow twice. Now think about that. All right. A rooster will crow twice when you have denied that you know me three times. That means the rooster crowed once and he didn't pay any attention, right? Because mm -hmm. it wasn't until the rooster crowed the second time that he heard it. And so what's the matter with Peter anyway? Well, if you were there, your mind wouldn't be firing off in all the best circumstances either. They just 
arrested Jesus, tied him, and he's on trial right inside the house. And all the high brass is there putting him on trial. And uh, who knows what's going to happen? And I'm sure Peter wasn't thinking the first time he heard that rooster. But the second time, all of a sudden, oh, wow. Look what I did. Jesus hit it right on the head. He said, when that rooster crows a second time, you will have already denied you know me three times. And Peter said, went out and wept bitterly. And so we have Peter, the sudden awareness. There's a sudden awareness of sin. Sudden awareness of sin. And the definition of sin. He says he went out and wept bitterly. Now, we don't know where he was. The next time we see him, he is gathered with the others. Right? He's gathered with the others on Easter morning before they hear of the resurrection. And so he didn't go off by himself. He, he did for a while, I'm sure, but then he went in and I'm sure I can hear him say, boy, did I mess up. Oh, man, just what Jesus said. He just said it, and he, I really did it. What's so wrong about that? What makes it sinful? He knew it was going to, he was warned it was going to happen, but there's more. What? Well, right. But there's more than that. Yeah. This is a best friend. It's your best friend. And he looked at you. Have any of you ever had somebody turn on you? How's that feel? How does that feel? And it is that close relationship and that deep friendship that defines what sin is. Sin is offending the best friend you have. That's what all our sin is, right? It's against Jesus. You say, well, I just did a little thing there. It wasn't no big thing. Nothing to do with Jesus. Oh, yes, it does. Oh, yes, it does. Has everything to do with Jesus. And that, for Peter, is what makes it so powerfully striking to him. If you denied John or Andrew or one of the others, you think, well, that's bad enough, but you deny Jesus. I mean, look what he's done for you. Look what he's taken you through over the last three years. I mean, you fed 5,000 people from his hands. You walked on water. Peter walked on water. Not far. But farther than anybody else other than Jesus ever did. You know. Peter had these marvelous, wonderful, and he swore, and then he turned around three times in a row. I don't even know him. And so the nature of sin defined here is why this is such powerful passage, because it is the nature of sin that we deny, that we hurt our very best Jesus is the best friend you got. Has anybody else ever done for you what he's done? Nah. Nobody. Find somebody who's helped you like that. Nobody. And so, uh, sin isn't just, I did a naughty because it said, thou shalt not, and I did it. That's not what it is. It is a violation of the relationship between you and him. That's what it is. Now, 
we go to the next character that we're looking at here, Luke uh, 22. Again, we can stay here. And over in verse 3, this is right from <coughs> the Last Supper. Luke 22, verse 3. Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. And he went his way and communed with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him unto them. They were glad and covenanted to give him money. And he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the absence of the multitude. And so we get Judas Iscariot. Uh, making an agreement with these fellows. Now I'm going over to uh, Matthew, Matthew 27. I'm going to look at Matthew 27. Judas Iscariot is a mysterious character. The opinions about him are as varied as you can imagine. And... uh, Some people say he was never any good. Some people say he was always good, just misled. Uh, I don't know what to think about him. I know that he loved money. Verse 3, Matthew 27. When Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. All right, now look at Matthew 26. Verse 14. One of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests, said unto them, What will you give me? And I would deliver him unto you. And they covenanted with him for thirty pieces of silver. And from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. And so he's made an agreement earlier in the week, maybe on Tuesday of that week. We think it might be Monday or Tuesday. And he went and said, what will you give me? What do you got for me? Will you give me something if I turn him over to you, if we find a place where you can arrest him? And so uh, he does that. He betrays him. And uh, takes the crowd up to where he is. And they take him in. And let's look back at Matthew 26. Here he comes. Now verse 48. He that betrayed him gave him a sign saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, the same as he, hold him fast. Forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? That is stunning to me. Think about what Jesus did with Judas that night. Earlier that night, they went into the upper room for the Last Supper, what we call the Last Supper. First thing Jesus does is wash everybody's feet. Because nobody else would do it. (laughs) They all had opportunity They wouldn't do it. So Jesus gets up. He said he took a towel, took his coat off, took a towel, and he went around with a pan of water and washed their feet. He washed Judas Iscariot's feet first that night. All right? I don't know about you, but I don't know as I could do that. Could you do that? You know what he's going to do in a couple of hours. Could you do that? It's an act of kindness, an act of a servant, an act of friendship. He washes his feet. And then uh, during the dinner, uh, he says, one of you is going to betray me. And they all say, is it me? Is it me? And then Judas says the same thing. Is it me? And Jesus says, yeah, it's you. Quietly right next to him, yeah, it's you. And then he dips the sop, or an act for, of honor for one of your guests, is if you take that special bread and you put it in the sauce that's there, bitter sauce, 
take it and dip it in and hand it over to Judas. He hands it to Judas. It's an act of actually honor or friendship. He hands it to Judas. And so he's been very kind and good to him. And now Judas comes to him and he's going to kiss him. Well, Bible says here he kissed him. One of the other gospels says he kissed him over and over. He, he kissed him over and over. He really went overboard with it. And Jesus said, you betray me with kisses. And then he said this, what he says here, friend, wherefore art thou come? Or friend, why are you here? What it means. Why are you here? Peter, or I'm sorry, Judas is under the influence of Satan. And he acts strangely, behaves very strangely, and very weird. As soon as he got up to leave the Last Supper, Satan says moved into him. You always remember there's not 13 people, there's 14 people at the Last Supper. 12 disciples and Jesus and Satan is there. And Satan is not omnipresent. He can only be in one place at one time. And so Satan is lingering in the room. And as soon as uh, Judas decides, no, I'm going to turn away your friendship. I'm going to go betray you. says he went into him. He possessed him for a while. He goes into Judas, and when he comes now up here, he's kind of in a, almost a daze. He's in a daze. He's not thinking clearly. He's in a daze, and he comes up, kisses Jesus, and Jesus said, Why are you here? Why are you here? What's he trying to do? Calls him friend. Friend? Why are you here? Get the money out that's in your pocket out of your head and get the fact that you're leading a group of soldiers out of your head. I want you to tell me why you're here. Well, of course, he doesn't answer. He's, he knows as he thinks about it. I'm here to have you arrested, take you away, have you betrayed. Right now, let's go over to Matthew 27. By the way, who did the worst thing, Peter or Judas? You say, well, Judas, Judas ended up being the one that had him arrested and taken away. Uh, I, yeah, I'd be really hard pressed to say which one is worse. Why? Because they are both against friendship. Right? The thing about Judas, you got to remember, is Judas has been with him for probably three years. We don't know exactly when he started, but uh, he was following Jesus. He also fed the 5,000. He was in the boat when Jesus came walking across the water. Jesus sent out the 12, Judas one of them, and said, I'm going to give you power over the power of the enemy. And they came back and they said, we can cast out demons. Judas could do that. And people say, well, Judas was never any good. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure that I can say he was never any good. He did what the rest of them did. Now, did it get sunk down deep inside? Somewhere there was that thing inside of him where he turned against Jesus. Now, now we have the sudden awareness of Judas Iscariot. Matthew 27. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. When they had bound him, they delivered him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Here we go. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw he was condemned, 
repented. We skipped over that a lot. It says he repented when he saw he was condemned. Something had suddenly incited Judas an awareness. I did that. I did that. I did that. That sudden awareness came. And it was when Jesus, uh, they said, well, he's going to be killed. We're going to crucify him. I don't think he thought that would happen. I don't think Judas thought that Jesus would die that night or that day. I don't think he thought that. I think he said if, if Jesus goes into their hands, he can do anything to get out. Now, Monday, Tuesday in the temple, all right, and probably Wednesday, three days he was in the temple teaching, they kept coming out with questions. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar? And he chops them in pieces. <laughs> Is it lawful for this man to marry this woman after her brother dies? And he chopped them in pieces. And finally it says they were afraid to ask him any more questions. Because he was brilliant at answering questions. And I'm sure Judas is thinking, look, they're going to get him in and talk to him and he's going to baffle them like he did day after day all week. I mean, they can't possibly pin anything on him. And so I'm sure he's going to just talk and when they're done, they'll all be baffled. So they won't dare. So he thinks probably that Jesus is okay. Another thing is possible because Jesus has done this actually quite a few times is he just walked away. He just walked away. In Nazareth they were going to throw him over a cliff. Now he grew up in Nazareth. They all knew him for 30 years. And he says he walked right through the crowd and walked away. Well, how did he do that? Well, he made it so they couldn't recognize him. And he'd done that several times where he just simply goes in your mind and said, boop. And now you don't recognize him. That's what he did on the road to Emmaus. It says their eyes were holden. Or that is he went inside of their mind and turned the switch off and they couldn't recognize him. And I'm sure Judas had seen it happen. He just did it uh, when, it, when the blind man, healing of the blind man. And Jesus walked right out. They were getting ready to stone him and he just walked away. How did they do that? Well, he's able to play in your mind and turn off this switch that runs recognition. And so Judas thought, look, they can't pin him down. They never pin him down. He's so much smarter than they are. And uh, he, he uh, can walk away if he wants to. He willingly stepped out of the shadows and gave himself to those guys when they arrested him. So, he he can do anything. Nothing's going to happen from this. And then he hears Pontius Pilate has agreed we're going to crucify Jesus. And all of a sudden, he repented himself. Or that is, he said, oh my goodness, I did this. It's a sudden awareness strikes him. Peter had the same thing. The rooster crowed for Peter. He's suddenly aware that he's done a horrible thing. Now, Judas Iscariot hears something that he did not expect to hear. Jesus was condemned to die. And that suddenly struck him. And uh, he, it says he repented himself. So, oh man, I did, I did wrong. Let's see what he does. Verse 3. Repented himself, brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned, and that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to it. 
And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple, went, departed, and went and hanged himself. Now, at the temple, it's a, it's a large complex. And if you would enter in one of the gates, you'd have to go across uh, quite a ways. Uh, come up through the temple. First, the farthest away from the Holy of Holies was called the Court of the Gentiles. And you would have to go through that. No priest there. And then the Court of Women was next. And he would go through the Court of the Women. And then there's a flight of stairs carved into the rock because it's on a mountainside, Mount Zion. And they carved 15 steps in, in the rock. And he would go up now up to the front of the temple where the priests were. And he goes there and says, I betrayed innocent blood. And he said, I shouldn't have done it. I've done something wrong. I've sinned. And they said, well, what do we care? What do we care? That's your problem. Not our problem. What do we care and that 30 pieces of silver is a telltale. Uh, it's not $30. I just put that there. 30 pieces of silver. It's, not, it's probably less than that. Uh, it's not much. It's not much. When they, when Judas came in and said, I'd like to turn over my master to you. These guys are politicians and they're sneaky guys and they're not dummies. And they say, oh, good, we're so happy. Well, I want to be paid. Okay, we'll give you 30 pieces of silver. Now, that's a very low price. And we have uh, down in verse 9 of Matthew 27. What, <clears throat> then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet saying they took the 30 pieces of silver the price of him that was valued whom they of the children of Israel did value and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord appointed me. All right, now there's a reference to an Old Testament scripture. We're going to look back at that. Zechariah. It's in Zechariah. I know it says Jeremiah there. And nobody knows why it says Jeremiah there. There's two, three different thoughts. Some people think that whoever was copying uh, copied it wrong. And it should have said Zechariah. And actually, the two names, when they write them in Greek, there's only like one letter difference. Could be. Some people say, and this is more what I'd be inclined to believe, that Jeremiah was the main prophet in the Jews' mind. He was the number one prophet. And so on the book of the prophets, which you and I would call part of the Old Testament, Jeremiah's name was on the cover. And so uh, when they said, well, you got the prophets? Yeah, it says Jeremiah on the cover. Some people think that's what it was. Why? It's actually Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 11. Zechariah chapter 11. This is amazing. Really amazing. I'm going to read through and comment a little bit on it. <coughs> and... Uh, Stop and think about it. Zechariah 11, verse 1. Open thy doors, O Lebanon, that the fire may devour thy cedars. Howl for your tree, for the cedar is fallen, because the mighty are spoiled. Howl, O ye oaks of Bashan, for the forest of the vintage is come down. All right, so all the main stable things are going to be destroyed. The big giant oak tree, big cedar trees, which were huge. He says, they're going to all be ruined. Everything that's stable that you know as always having been away is going to be destroyed. Verse 3, there is a voice of the howling of shepherds for their glorious spoil. 
the voice of the roaring of young lions, where the pride of Jordan is spoiled. Thus saith the Lord my God. All right, so there's howling shepherds. Howling shepherds. Because everything got ruined. Everything was destroyed. Verse 4. Thus saith the Lord my God, feed the flock of the slaughter, whose possessors slay them and hold themselves not guilty. And so God says to Zechariah, I want you to feed the flock because the people who are shepherding now, these howling shepherds, they will kill the flock and say, we're not guilty. Sound familiar? They turned over Jesus to have him crucified. Judas comes in and says, here's the money. I don't want it. Uh, and he said, you got to see to it that I'm, not, I'm innocent. I want you to know that he's innocent. Jesus is innocent. And then they say, that's your problem. Not our problem. We didn't do it. We're not guilty. You did it. You sold him. And he throws the money across the marble floor. There's a marble floor there where he was. Uh, Whose possesses, verse 5, slay them, hold them not guilty. They that sell them say, blessed be the Lord, for I am rich. That ever was a description of Caiaphas and his crew. There it is. What did they say? We got money. <laughs> We're okay. We're loaded. We can buy and sell anybody we want that we bought you for 30 pieces of silver. No big deal. We can buy. We're rich. And that's the way they felt, too. That's a very much. We're rich, and their own shepherds pity them not. And that was the case with the Caiaphas and the Pharisees and Sadducees, all of that group. Verse 6, I will no more pity the inhabitants of the land, saith the Lord. But lo, I will deliver men, everyone to his neighbor's hand and the hand of his king. They shall smite the land out of their hand. I will not deliver them. I will feed the flock of slaughter, even you, O poor of the flock. So, as a shepherd, Zechariah is going to step in. He says, I will take care of the people who weren't cared for by the howling shepherds. I will do it. And I took me two staves. One I called beauty, the other I called bands, and I fed the flock. So he's got two uh, rods or staff, actually, long staff that they would use. And he names the first one uh, uh, Beauty, the name of the first staff. And the second staff he names Bands. All right. And so how does the good shepherd lead? How does he lead his flock? Beauty. Very gracious. Very kind. Very easy. He leads them very kindly. All right, and he says, that's how I'm going to lead the flock. So I, in his kindness, beauty in his kindness, and then bands are something that unite us, tie us together. We're tied together. We have a closeness band. So I'm kind to you, and I tie you, and I have a you, uniting with you. That's how I'm going to feed the flock. Let's go to verse 9. Then I said, I will not feed you. That dieth, let it die. And that is cut off, let it be cut off. Let the rest eat every one the flesh of another. And I took my staff, even beauty, cut it asunder, that I might break my covenant, which I had made with all the people. It was broken in that day, so the poor of the flock that waited on me knew it was the word of the Lord. And so he said, uh, I am not going to continue to support the howling shepherds. I'm here for the poor and I'm going to stop kindness. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to break the union 
that we had. Verse 11 or 12. And I said unto them, if you think good, give me my price. If not, forbear. So they weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver. So Zechariah says, all right. I'm going to take care of the poor of the flock. I'm going to use beauty and, and band them together. I'm going to do my best. What do you think it's worth? Pay me what it's worth. And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. Now what's 30 pieces of silver? 30 pieces of silver is the price of a slave. You can buy a slave for 30 pieces of silver. And so they're saying to Zechariah, what do we think you're worth as our shepherd? <laughs> 30 pieces of silver we'll give you. Price of a slave. We don't even think you're worth anything at all. Judas Iscariot comes in to Caiaphas and his crew and says, I want you to pay me. All right. There's 30 pieces of silver. What is it? It's nothing. It's peanuts. Doesn't amount to anything. There's a little over $20. And they paid 30 pieces of silver. Why? Because Judas, to us, you are scum. You are worthless. And we're going to show it by giving you 30 pieces of silver. That's the price for turning over your master. 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said, verse 13, unto me, cast it under the potter, a goodly price that I was prized at of them. And I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast it to the potter in the house of the Lord. All right. And so uh, it got paid 30 pieces of silver. In other words, they said, you're, you're next to useless. You're just like a slave to us. You have no value. We'd buy someone like you for 30 pieces of silver. Here's your money. And God said to Zechariah, throw it in the temple at the potter's feet. In the temple, there'd be pottery. There'd be regular people there making pottery all the time. And he said, we're going to throw that at the potter's feet. And so Zechariah throws his 30 pieces of silver at the potter's feet. Now, let's go over back to Matthew 27. <clears throat> Verse 5. He cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful for to put them in the treasury, because it is a price of blood. I, that's just, that's stunning. That's stunning. Judas comes in, we're going to pay you peanuts, because we despise a traitor, even though we're going to use you. We're going to take you and use you. You're nothing. You're dirt. So we'll give you 30 pieces of silver, uh, and we despise you for it. And Judas throws them down in the temple, and they pick up the coins off the floor. They said, what are we going to do with these? They took them, it says, out of the treasury. Or that is the offering box in the temple. They say, we've got to pay this scummy Judas. So go to the offering box and get 30 pieces of silver. We'll pay him off. So they took it out of the treasury and paid him. Now they pick it up off the floor. And they said, this was used for blood money. Because Jesus is going to be dead today. And we can't put blood money back in the till. They're the ones that paid it. They paid Judas out of the treasury. And now they said, oh, it's dirty money. We can't put it back in. 
It was dirty. Anything they touched was dirty. Those guys. That takes a tremendous amount of gall. Well, we're too holy to put this back in the treasury where we took it from. We're going to keep it out. And this kind of money is used uh, for some other purpose. Here's what we'll do. Verse 7. Took counsel and bought them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Wherefore that field was called the field of blood unto this day. And so they go outside of Jerusalem. It's in the valley of Hinnom where this is. And Hinnom was a word that they used simultaneously with hell. So it's kind of like they call it the valley of hell. It's a potter's field. Now, what the potter who owned the field has been doing is been digging clay out of the ground. Where are you going to take it and make pottery? And so this potter had this little chunk of land there. And Judas went out to the Valley of Hinnom. Now, they say that in the Valley of Hinnom... There's a pretty sharp wall down. It goes from like 20 feet in some places to 60 feet at the bottom. And somewhere down there they buy this potter's field because it's worthless. They've been digging clay out of it all this time. And you can't, what are you going to do? It's a hole in the ground. Anything with any value, the clay is all gone and so the potter has dug all the clay out and now he's got this it's a hole in the ground but well, we'll buy that field because Judas as is, is, people who know the area say this is highly likely hung himself along the top ridge of the valley of Hinnom the trees that grow right on the edge and he took uh, his uh, shirt and tied it to a tree and tied it around his neck and jumped and it broke and he fell down in and Peter says in the book of Acts that all his guts spilled out all over or he broke open that's what happened and so when he jumped and the cloth he used to hang himself broke and he fell down into the valley down there by this potter's field and landed in rocks or whatever. And his, he said his insides came out. And it was called after that the field of blood. You can imagine the picture, okay? You go down there, there's Judas. Where, oh, it's a horrible place. And so they buy it and they'll bury strangers out there. If you were Jewish and came to town and died and they didn't know who you were, which could happen. There were thousands of people came to Jerusalem all the time. Uh, then they took you out and buried you in that potter's field. Uh, Zechariah had thrown his money at the potter's feet. And now the money that Judas threw in the temple is used to buy a potter's field. And thus the prophecy is fulfilled uh, that... In verse 9, fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremy the prophet. They took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, or in other words, that wasn't valued much, whom they of the children of Israel did value. They didn't value him and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord appointed me. Right? And so it's an amazing prophecy of Judas Iscariot as he comes to his end there. Now, here's a couple of interesting things. Uh, uh, the Sanhedrin during their trial set out to find two witnesses, right? We talked about this on Sunday morning. They're looking for two witnesses because the Jewish law, Mosaic law actually, said if you're going to accuse somebody of something, you have to have two witnesses that agree. Well, you know that they brought in all kinds of witnesses and none of them agreed because they were liars. And liars have a hard time agreeing. And so uh, they 
sat there and they sat there for two hours trying to find two people to agree and they really couldn't find anybody. Guess what? They got two now. Pontius Pilate took Jesus and said, I find no fault in him. Take him away. They brought him out again. I find no fault in him. Take him away. They scream and yell and holler. He brings him out the third time, all covered with blood, wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe. I find no fault in him. And they're screaming, crucify him. He says, you crucify him. He knows they can't. You crucify him. I find no fault in him. Witness number one. Witness number two, Judas Iscariot goes straight to the Sanhedrin in the temple and says, this is innocent blood. I betrayed an innocent man. Two witnesses. Both of them say, not guilty. Two that they were looking for, they wanted two to say guilty. There they had it, two there, not guilty. So Jesus Question is, what happened to Judas in the end? We know what happened to Peter. We find him right away back with the others. I'm sure he has admitted to them what happened. It's very likely John was there with him somewhere. John was a friend of the high priest, and nobody can figure out that connection, but they know it was so. Otherwise, Peter never would have got in the gate. So he's brought Peter in the gate, and he's somewhere talking to people he knows. And Peter's over by the fire, away from everybody. And uh, so, uh, uh, Peter has that moment, and he repents. says, I did wrong. And that sudden awareness that he did wrong. And he's willing to go to the others and say, I did terrible things tonight, and I didn't. Judas could have gone back to them. He could have gone back and said, I can't believe what I just did. What are we going to do? But he didn't. He listened to what they said. If you're guilty, you know, you say you... You sinned and you, yeah, that's your problem. You see to your own action. And he knows what he did. And he becomes guilty in his conscience. And he sees no way out. And so he runs as fast as he can and kills himself. Uh, Because that's the only thing he can think to do. You want to know, is Judas in heaven? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, There's two thoughts. Jesus called him a friend all night long. And when he kissed him, he said, friend, what are you doing? What are you doing? Was that an offer for him to come to his senses? And when he did come to his senses, he could have got right, gone back to the others and said, look what I did. He didn't. And so he couldn't figure out how to get rid of that guilty conscience other than kill himself. So did Jesus... Forgive him. It sure is his nature to forgive. That's what I keep coming up with. It sure is his nature to forgive. Everything in him forgives. And that's all he can think about. Majestic sweetness sits enthroned upon the Savior's realm. He's forgiving the people who are nailing to, to the cross. He's forgiving the thief next to him on the cross. He's just forgiving everybody. 
He's talking to the women along the road. So it's okay. It's okay. This is what it is. He's just forgiving everybody all around him. Is Judas a part of that? I would like to say yes. Now I'm going to tell you why I don't know. Because Jesus called him the son of perdition. Or the son of hell. He called him. He said, everyone that I, you gave me, I kept except for the son of perdition. So, I don't know. I don't know why he called him the son of hell if he didn't go there. Is it possible that Judas said, God forgive me and then hung himself? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I can't tell. We give him a lot of dark, bad points because his hand was in the bag and he deserves them. He deserves them. But he was amazed and repented when Jesus was condemned. He thought he was going to get off. He thought he would. So I don't know. I can't answer that question. Uh, but uh, uh, Judas and Peter both sinned against a friend. And that defines sin better than anything else. When Jesus is dealing with sin, that's what he's doing as he's going through the cross, coming up to the cross, he's praying in Gethsemane, going up and dying on a cross, he's dealing with sin, raising from the dead, he's dealing with sin. When he's dealing with sin all the time, uh, certainly we need to think about the nature of the sins that are recorded here, our personal affronts to Jesus Christ. Every sin is a personal affront to Jesus Christ. Everyone. Why? Because he died for them all. And I no, I need to stop, I know. But it's always lean toward Jesus' behavior. Uh, I knew a guy that ran a church. And if you went to church for three or four weeks there, you were a nice new visitor. After that, they went after you to fix what was wrong with you. <laughs> and I mean, he did. He went after his people. I never knew him to have over 20. Uh, he was a good guy and everything, but he had that harshness towards sin. And they say, well, you've got to have discipline in a church. Uh, I'm not sure that that's what we're here for exactly. Uh, I saw it up closer with another pastor that I know. And uh, he went after people, called them in his office, sat them down, went after them. I've been called in the office <laughs> and somebody go after me uh, in a church. And I can't see it as being the right way. It certainly is not what Jesus did. That night he called Judas Iscariot, friend, over and over and over again. He washed his feet. He dipped the sap as he's kissing him. Friend, friend. I see a gentleness in Jesus' behavior that I would like to copy. We're not here to be harsh on sinners. Jesus wasn't. He was not. And so, I think that these passages really bring it to light 
that if there ever was a kinder master, Jesus of Nazareth, majestic sweetness sits enthroned upon the Savior's brow. His head with radiant glories crowned his lips with grace overflow. He sure proved it that night, didn't he? Next week we'll go on some more things gathered around the death of Christ. Thank you.